I'm so thankful we've got Jesus walking with us. Amen? He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. He's with us every step of the way. Praise be to God. I'm going to invite you to open in your Bibles to John chapter 18 this morning. John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. It's found on page 850 of the Pew Bibles there provided for you. We'd love for you to see the scripture with your own eyes here today. And I'm kind of excited. I have some partially wet sleeves here. And that's awesome to get to baptize some young people as they declare their faith and commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. It sure is awesome stuff to see uh, anyone, but especially young people, uh, declare faith in Jesus Christ. So with great joy and gratitude, I preach with wet sleeves today, and that's fantastic. Uh, we're going to be picking up uh, a series now as we get into the Easter season. We're actually in the Easter season already. And so we've kind of laid the Gospel of John aside for a while as we've uh, taken on some other topics and other series that we've been doing over the last several months. But today we're going to pick up the Gospel of John and, and we anticipate finishing that here in a straight, straight run uh, through our sermon series. Uh, we're going to culminate with the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday because guess what? Jesus is alive, right? Jesus is alive. We don't have to wait for Easter Sunday to celebrate that, but we're going to set that up so that Easter Sunday we will preach through his resurrection. And and in the days leading up to that, we're going to be covering the next two chapters, John chapter 18, John chapter 19, uh, that are related to his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and his burial. And as we, we cover that the next five weeks, we're going to be covering a series called If They Only Knew. If they only knew. Well, who's the they? Well, it's the people that were involved that were friends of Jesus, but also enemies of Jesus. And we're going to see a little bit of both here this morning in John chapter 18. If they only knew. And our chairman of the elders and one of our preachers here on the preaching team, Pastor Tim Volstrom, we were, he brought this verse to us and said, man, can you believe this? The rulers of this age did not understand what was going on. And so, really, the theme verse, even though it's not in John, the theme verse for us is actually found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Just to introduce this series, this idea of if they only knew. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age <clears throat> who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before for the ages, before the ages, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The people involved in crucifying Jesus thought they had him thought that they were getting rid of a problem, but they didn't fully understand what they were doing. If they had, if they knew who Jesus was and what he was seeking to accomplish, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, what they had was a picture of what was right in front of them in the foreground. 
They saw the foreground. They saw this man who was doing things and causing commotion and, and teaching strange things and doing strange works. And it made the, the religious leaders uncomfortable. It made the, the Roman leaders uncomfortable. And so they decided, let's just get rid of this man and let's crucify him. That was in the foreground. But in the background, there was something deep and mysterious and awesome going on. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 is saying, we impart a wisdom that is now revealed to you and to me. We get to see what was going on in the background. In the foreground was suffering. In the foreground was shame. In the background, we see Jesus Christ crucified, the wisdom of God and the power of God. In the foreground, it, it was weakness. It was foolishness. It was defeat. But in the background... The wisdom of God, power of God, God's redemption and rescue of humanity. If they only knew. And I want to invite you this morning to consider. What is it that you're experiencing today? The heartaches, the trials, the obstacles, the pains, the hurts, the, 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 just the, the nasty broken stuff of this life. Maybe you're in strained relationships. Maybe you're experiencing just the anxiety and the pressure of living in a world that feels at moments like it's on the brink of war. Amen? It's a, it's a dark day. Amen? And we feel that. And in the foreground, we have all of this brokenness and foolishness and weakness. And at times, you may be sitting here today, maybe personal experiences in your life, you feel like, I'm defeated. But as we're going to see, if they only knew... If we would see, because it's God's desire that we know, that we don't live in the dark. So when we say, if they only knew, we're not talking about you. We're asking, open your eyes. And we're going to ask God to open our eyes here in just a moment to allow us to see. Lord, help us to see your story, your plan, your power, your wisdom, your redemption in the background of this story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Before we jump into John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11, I want to invite you. Let's ask God to do that, to open our eyes so that we would see the background of his grand story of what he was doing through human events. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us this wisdom of the gospel, a mystery that was hidden for the ages, but now has been revealed to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And the rulers of his age, they didn't understand what they were doing fully, they were rebellious. They hated you. They hated Christ. But they didn't fully understand what they were doing. They just saw weakness and foolishness and defeat. But in that moment, it was Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, the redemption of God. And so as we launch into this series and we look at John chapter 18, would you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We left off John 17 actually back in November. That's how long it's been, about what, four months or so, four or five months. Uh, we were seeing Jesus as he was praying passionately for his own. In fact, John chapter 13 through 17, was that five chapters? Five chapters, it's just covering one evening, one meal with his disciples. Jesus is pouring into them some of his final words, some of his final moments with them so that they would be prepared for the days to come. 
Jesus washes his disciples' feet at that meal. He gives them the great commandment to love one another. He says, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's, and then they, it seems as if they, they, they leave that meal and they're walking through the city of Jerusalem. And he says, I'm the vine. See that vine right there? He says, I'm the vine. You're the true branches. Come and abide in me. And then we see that he prays for his own, that they may be one, just as he and the Father and the Spirit are one. And he promises them, I'm going to send you a helper. Well, we get to John chapter 18, and now the narrative picks up again. Jesus and his friends now are crossing over to the Garden of Gethsemane, that famous scene where Jesus and his disciples are at the moment of his arrest. So let's follow along as I read aloud John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, and and where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with their lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck off the high priest's servant and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So we saw there in John chapter 14, verse 31, months ago now, that Jesus actually said, hey, come on guys, let's get up. And now we see him crossing over. They're leaving the the city proper of Jerusalem, and they're crossing over a wadi that's often dry, and they're going over to the Mount of Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane is. Uh, And we see, according to to these verses, that it was a, a place that Jesus and his disciples went to often. And this is the scene of the events that we're going to be looking at here today. And here's our main point as we dive into this text. The main point is this. Again, the series is, if they only knew. If they only knew. And the main idea is this. Jesus was found so we wouldn't be lost. Jesus was found so we and his disciples here in this story wouldn't be lost. And we're going to take a look at three things uh, from that point today. First of all, Jesus was not a sucker. He laid down his life. Jesus was not a sucker. He laid down his life. Secondly, Jesus was not a lone wolf. He submitted to the Father's plan. And thirdly, Jesus was not negligent. He protected his own. He was not negligent. He protected his own. First thing we see here. Jesus was not a sucker. He laid down his life. But let's take a look here for a moment at Judas. Judas saw his opportunity. 
Now we know that Judas is the betrayer. He's the one that even though he was among the disciples, he was not truly a follower of Jesus Christ from the heart. He was following on the outside, but inside he was rebelling against Jesus every single day. In fact, we see, G- we see Judas's heart on display. John gives us a little uh, tidbit of that. In John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, we see that Mary, uh, who is Lazarus' sister, comes to anoint Jesus' feet with expensive ointment. I mean, he had just raised, Jesus had just raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. And out of gratitude and worship and praise to Jesus, she brings this expensive ointment and she just pours it out on Jesus' feet. And she's there worshiping him. And, 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 and this is what Judas, Judas says. Kind of like this, like, what a waste. Why not sell that ointment, that expensive ointment, and we could give the proceeds to the poor. To the poor. I mean, it sounds like, okay, well, he's kind of being smart, maybe with uh, the resources, and maybe he's thinking of someone else. But John tells us and shows us through the Holy Spirit exactly what was going on in Judas's heart. In John chapter 12, verse 6, it says, it shows us why Judas asked that. Not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. You see, Judas was a greedy man. He was hanging out with Jesus so that he could fill his pockets. You see, when we desire to fill our pockets, it does not reflect a heart that Jesus loves and honors. Jesus himself even said, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. And we see on display Judas's heart. Judas loved money. That was his God. Judas had a greedy heart. And as Jesus was sitting with his disciples in John chapter 13, Jesus is sharing this personal and intimate meal, the Passover, with his disciples. And he takes some bread and he gives it to Judas and he says, take this morsel. And right there in John chapter 13 verse 21, because of Judas's hardness of heart, because of the greed that he had in his heart, was the opportunity that Satan saw, I'm going to enter Judas. And we see that Satan entered Judas and Judas left and went away with a mission to be betray Jesus. You see, I I believe that Judas saw in Jesus a sucker. He said, here's this man, so kind-hearted, so compassionate, and here he is. He's come to Jerusalem, the place where the, 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 the animosity is hottest, the place where his enemies want to capture him. And he says, I see a sucker here. I can make even more money. And he goes to the religious leaders and says, hey, he's right over there. I can give him over to you. Judas saw in Jesus an opportunity. He saw Jesus as a sucker, but Jesus is no sucker. No, he he laid down his life. And and what we see here is that Jesus, uh, in this moment, while Judas thinks, I got him, I can fill my, my, my pockets with a little more wealth, we see that Jesus was not and could not be duped. You see, the Lord stepped right into Judas's plan because he saw, Jesus saw what was in the background. What was in the foreground was Judas's betrayal, Judas's greed, Judas's sin, Satan entering Judas and coming to try and trap Jesus. But Jesus saw the plan all unfolding before him. He saw what was in the background. And so Jesus, what does he do? He actually springs the trap. He springs the trap. It says in verse 1 of John 18 that Jesus went out with his disciples 
And he, with his disciples, they entered the garden. They went right to the garden. In verse 2, it says Judas knew that, that Jesus would be there, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Judas is probably thinking, I know exactly where he's going to go. And Jesus says, I know that he knows exactly where I'm going to go. So I'm going to go right there. I'm going to spring the trap. Jesus knew all that would happen to him. Verse 4 again. He knew all that would happen to him. And what did he do? Did he flee? Did he run? Did he say, this is too much for this? No, he saw in the background the plan of God that was at work. And he said, I'm going to step right into it. I'm going to step right into it. Friends, Jesus is no sucker. Jesus is no fool. Jesus is no idiot. He knew exactly what he was doing. Some scholars today would like to portray Jesus as this poor, helpless martyr of his age. A great teacher who had to succumb to the the wicked plans of the leaders of his day. Oh, friends, that's what you may see on the foreground. In the foreground, foolishness and weakness. But in this all, Jesus said, I know exactly what I am doing. He sprung the trap. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. He stepped up. He didn't run. No one takes Jesus' life from him. In fact, he lays it down of his own will. John chapter 10, verses 17 to 18, Jesus says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one, not Judas, Not the religious leaders, not the Roman cohort that's come along with these men. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Friends, Jesus was no sucker. Jesus was not duped. Jesus was not trapped. In fact, Jesus knew the plan and the plot all along, and he sprung that trap. Not only that, related to Judas. But let's look again at Jesus' response to the, the armed people, the soldiers and the, 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 uh, the chief priests, uh, guards and servants. Uh, they're there and, and they brought, verse 3 says, they brought lanterns and torches and weapons. <laughs> and it says here, this is one of the most, I think, humorous scenes in, in all the Bible. Jesus, when he said, verse 6, when he said to them, I am he, what happens to these guys? They drew back and they fell to the ground. Now, I don't know if there was some sort of thunder from heaven when he stepped somebody and says, I am, or if they just recognized, oh my goodness, this is Jesus. We can't mess with this guy. They fall back. You see, the words that Jesus says when he comes here, he says, I am he. It's the Greek phrase, ego eimi, and, and many brought it out in his prayer earlier. It's this phrase that's used throughout the, 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 the Greek verse version of the Old Testament when God appears to his people Israel and he says I am who I am I am who I am I'm not I wasn't the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob I am the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and John wants us to see when Jesus uses this phrase he says I am. And it was so clear to the Jewish leaders in chapters before in John chapter 8 that those leaders, they picked up stones to throw at him. Why? Because he, being a man in the flesh, also made himself God and they hated him for it. So when Jesus comes up to the plate and he says, I'm stepping here, I'm springing the track. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. I am he. And these guys, they fall to the ground. 
Jesus is no sucker, friends. Jesus is not weak. Jesus is not giving in to the evil plots of Satan and the religious leaders of his time, as we're going to see in this crucifixion. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's the one in that garden that says, I am. I am. I am. Jesus had the power to take on all those soldiers. We, we know that it was a Roman cohort. Now, a Roman cohort could be anywhere from up to like 600 to even 1,000 soldiers. I doubt that all of them showed up, but we know that lots and lots came. And they had weapons, and they were trained for battle. But I don't care what kind of army you bring. When Jesus is in the midst and he says, I am, everybody falls to the ground, friends. They fall to the ground. No president, no dictator Even a president of Russia cannot stand before the great I am. And we see, we see Jesus. And in fact, uh, we see in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew's account of this exact same scenario. Jesus, he looks at his disciples and he says this in Matthew 26, 53. He's actually responding to Peter. He says, do you, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send to me more than 12 legions of angels? You think I'm helpless in this moment? I'm the I am. I'm no sucker. I'm laying down my life. Why would he do this, though? Why would he do this? If I'm the I am, and I step into that moment, right? If I'm wearing his sandals, I am, and boom, man, they're struck down dead, and I get out free. So why? Why, if he's no sucker, is he laying down his life? John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus speaks about this kind of perspective that he has. It says this, greater love has no one than this. That someone laid down his life for his friends. What's going on here in this moment is not an act of weakness. Not an act of foolishness. That may be what we see in the foreground. But in the background, Jesus says, I am doing this out of love. Because I love my own. Jesus was no sucker. He laid down his life because of love. Because of love. And Jesus in John 15, 13, obviously he's speaking of himself, but he's also speaking of those who would be his followers. He's saying, I am not a sucker, and neither will you be if you follow in my footsteps. You see, you could have the same kind of love that I'm displaying for my own right here, right now. I am the I am, and I laid down my life out of love. And because you know me, the I am, you also can lay down your lives in love toward one another. He laid down his life because of love. Followers of Jesus, we do not need to run from persecution. We don't need to flee from suffering. We don't have to resist even martyrdom. And it's not because we're suckers. It's not because we're fools. It's not because we're weak, but it's because we know the I am. We know the one who laid down his life for us, and we can lay down our lives for our friends and for our Lord and for the cause of the gospel as well. We can walk in the footsteps of our master because of love. Because of love. Sometimes being a Christian seems foolish. Sometimes it seems a little weak. Sometimes it seems a little odd. Friends, when we encounter those that just don't quite understand, all they see is the foreground, we can have the knowledge in the background that we belong to the I am. And that just as he laid down his life, 
we in wisdom and power that belongs to Jesus Christ, we could lay down our lives in love for one another. Jesus was no sucker. He laid down his life. Number two, Jesus was not a lone wolf. He submitted to the Father's plan. He submitted to the Father's plan. In fact, we saw it back in John chapter 12, verse 27. Jesus is getting, and he's right on the eve of this Passover meal, this night that we're, we're talking about here in John chapter 18. And, and Jesus comes to this moment, and you could almost see the disciples are like, you sure you don't want to get out of here, Jesus? And this is what he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. But that's not what we see in the foreground here. We see, we see one of Jesus' closest friends. We see uh, the Apostle Peter just totally missing the point. Take a look again at verses 10 and 11 of John 18 with me. Uh, Simon Peter having a sword, and it's probably like a short stabbing type of dagger. He takes it out, and he strikes the high priest's servant and cuts off his right ear. Probably he's stabbing and reaching out. Maybe he had terrible aim. I'm kind of glad he did because he could have stabbed the guy right in the head, right? But he reaches out and he injures the ear of, of the high priest's servant, whose name was Malchus. Peter is saying in this moment, he's saying, I, I, I can't figure this out, Jesus. If you're not going to stand up for yourself, I'm willing to do it. I can't understand how your arrest could possibly fit into God the Father's plan for you. In fact, in chapter 12, verse 37 of John, Peter even declared that he would lay down his life for Jesus. Jesus, I'm willing to die for you in this moment. What in the world are you doing? Are you going rogue? Are you just being a maverick here? Are you, are you just a lone wolf, like totally peeling off from God the Father's plan? This makes no sense to me. Didn't Jesus know better? Was Jesus just acting on his own? Peter didn't understand the prayers that Jesus had just been praying. We don't see it in the Gospel of John, but we see it in Matthew chapter 26. Listen to Jesus' agonizing prayers that Matthew records. Matthew 26, verses 39 to 42. Listen to Jesus' prayer right before this scenario in John 18. He says, And going a little farther, Matthew writes, He, being Jesus, fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus, in this moment of agony, he sees the pain, he sees the suffering. It's a battle for him right here, friends. He sees the foreground, and the foreground is massive. It's shame, it's pain, it's suffering. It's even as Psalm 22 says, Jesus takes the words of David and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows that he's right on the doorstep of this agonizing experience. But he says, My Father... This is what I see in the foreground. But I'm going to look to you in the background. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. John chapter 5 verse 19. Jesus had the same similar perspective. 
He always pleased his father. Jesus said to, to the crowds, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Jesus always perfectly does the will of his heavenly father. Always, friends, always. He was obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross, he fulfilled the Father's plan. He's no lone wolf. He's walking in the steps by the Spirit that the Father had laid out for him. Even in the midst of the resistance, even in the midst of knowing that one of his closest brothers that was with him, Judas, was betraying him, even though the religious leaders were about to mock him and accuse him, even though he saw that the Roman soldiers were about to nail him to a cross, naked, shamed, beaten, he said, Father, I'm going to obey your will. I'm going to obey your will. He doesn't do anything of his own accord. He's no lone wolf. He does and submits to the Father's plan. After the fact, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, says this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, this is the son speaking now. Then I said, Jesus, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as is written in the scroll of the book. Jesus came for this very purpose. He was fulfilling the Father's will. Peter did not understand it. Jesus, what are you doing? Are you just a lone wolf right now? You're not supposed to suffer. You're not supposed to die. I'm willing to die so that you could slay all our enemies and sit on the throne of Israel as king over the world. But what Peter didn't see, that there would be no redemption, no reconciliation, no atonement, no forgiveness of sins without the path to the cross, friends. And Jesus saw it. And he said, Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? He's no lone wolf. He submitted to the Father's plan. Why though? Why? Why would he do this? It almost makes no sense. Why would Jesus submit to this plan? Why would the Father and the Son and the Spirit even put into motion this plan that includes Jesus suffering and dying? Why? We see it, the reason why in 1 John 4, 14. It says this, And we've seen and we've testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. To be the Savior of the world. That's why he submitted to the Father's plan in that moment. That's why Peter needed to put the sword back in its sheath. Why? Because Jesus knew in the foreground it meant suffering, but in the background, I'm going to be the only Savior of the world. The only Savior of the world. In that moment, friends, we saw it just a few verses ago. He could have called out legions of angels. He could have struck them down. He says, I am who I am. I am He. But he says, I'm not picking up any weapons because this is done out of love and because of of this, the Father has a plan for me to be the Savior of the world. He was found for, for you and me so that we wouldn't be lost, so that Peter wouldn't be lost. He says, Peter, Peter, stop. Peter, stop. You don't understand what's happening right now. You only see the foreground. But I know this is the only way to make atonement for your sins, Peter. Put the sword in its sheath. Jesus was no lone wolf. 
he submitted to the Father's plan. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like Peter. (laughs) And if you were to put yourself in Peter's shoes or sandals uh, there in the garden, what what would you have done? I I know for me, I I feel tempted to, uh, to equate persecution, to equate suffering with a deviation from God's plan. Okay, so the easy path, that must be the plan that God has for me. Yeah, like the better job and the better money and, and all, you know, all the comfort in this world and, you know, fleeing away from all the problems, you know, and getting away from the brokenness of this world and having the perfect marriage and the, the perfect kids and the perfect relationship and, and all these different things, right? But when suffering and when hurt and pain and sadness and brokenness enters into our lives... We have to ask ourselves, is this God's plan? And many times we get, we get really, really resistant to it. We buck at it. We resist it. We may even violently oppose it like Peter. We take out ourselves and say, no way, God. This can't be the way that you've got planned for me. But if we truly are following in our Savior's footsteps, we too, just like our Savior, will submit to the Father's plan, even unto suffering even unto suffering. He was no lone wolf. He submitted to the Father's plan. Are you living as a a lone wolf today? A lone wolf that says, I I know God's commands, but you know, some of them just make me a little more uncomfortable than I'm used to. You know, to to actually give my life over to him, to obey his commands, to to give of, of the things he's given to me and to give my time and resources and my thoughts to flee from sin. That just seems like a big, big cost. So I'll take some of the pieces of what Jesus offers and I'll leave the rest. Friend, you're acting like a lone wolf. Our Savior submitted to the Father's plan. And I'm so great, I'm so glad. We're going to see in the days to come, Peter gets fully, he's going to deny Jesus, but he's going to get restored again. Jesus offers grace. He offers grace to say, come back, come join me. Follow in my footsteps, following the Father's plan, even unto suffering. It is good to follow the Father's plan. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Jesus is always worth it. He's no lone wolf. He submitted to the Father's plan. Thirdly, Jesus was not negligent. He protected his own. Jesus was not negligent. He protected his own. This is truly amazing, friends. Again, John chapter 18, our passage this morning, verses 7 through 9. uh, Jesus asked the the soldiers and everybody that was armed with with torches and weapons and lanterns, he asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I'm he. So if you seek me, let these men go. Let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. I've lost not one. John refers to a, a, a prayer of Jesus. We see it in John chapter 17, verse 12. It's interesting. He refers to Jesus' former words in that prayer as if it were scripture. Isn't that amazing? John 17, 12, Jesus, uh, he's praying to the Father and he says, While I was with them, Father, that meaning being the disciples, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I have guarded them. 
and protected them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. That's Judas. He says, Father, I thank you that you have been with me and I have kept, I've guarded, I've protected every single one that you gave to me. And so in this moment in the garden, Jesus fulfills that word, that prayer. He says, let these men go. I will not forget about these my own, even in the midst of my pending suffering. Jesus, in this moment, his greatest moment of crisis, then his life that he's about to go through. And who does he have on his mind? His own. His people. To say, I'm going to guard them. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to keep them. You see, Jesus would not allow even one, even one of his own to be lost. He would suffer for them before he would ever ask that they suffer on his behalf, in his name, on account of him. He says, no, 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 I suffer first. I suffer first. Then you could come and follow and suffer in my name. I'm not going to lose one of you. You see, his suffering, it atoned for their sin and and it reconciled them back to God. Jesus was not merely a martyr. Jesus was going to accomplish the work that only he could do. He was going to die the death that only he could die to take the sins of the world upon his shoulders, including Peter's, including James, including John's, all of his own. He says, I'm not losing one of you. I'm going to go and I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised again so that you can have great boldness and great courage to go and follow in my footsteps and suffer in my name. His suffering atoned for their sin and reconciled them to God. Their suffering, however, would be a joyful witness to the goodness of Jesus. His death was a loss to himself, but it was their gain. And because he was to rise, they would rise too. His preservation of their earthly lives in that moment was so significant because it would keep them in that moment to say, I suffer first, but also it was a symbol signifying in that moment that as he laid down his life, he was laying the foundation of their eternal security in God's family and in his kingdom. Friends, in this moment, in the foreground, you see Jesus. This is chaos. This is out of control. He says, no, no, no. I know what I'm doing. And in this moment, I will make sure that I will protect my own. I will protect my own. John chapter 6, verses 37 to 40. Jesus already was sharing this with his disciples. He says this, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never, never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Friends, it's amazing. It's amazing to see that Jesus says, I'm coming, I'm going to suffer. And anybody that comes to me in faith, I give them eternal life. And I will never, ever, ever, ever cast them out. Friend, if you've come to eternal life, in Jesus' name. If you've come to eternal life in Jesus' name. David and Chloe, if they've truly come to eternal life in Jesus' name as they were baptized today, Jesus says, I will never, ever cast them out. 
Praise be to God. Praise be to God. He protects his own. He doesn't lose one of us. Those who are truly his sheep. Oh, but I'm afraid here today there could be some Judases in our midst. But the great thing about it is that there is an offer to you today. If you feel lost, if you feel hopeless, if you feel like you've got no one looking out for you in this world, you see all the news, all the turmoil, all the pandemics, all the wars, all the conflicts, you feel lost today. He says, come to me, I'll give you eternal life, and I'll never, ever, ever lose you. Oh, friend, yes, he never loses you. He won't lose me. Oh, there's some days that I almost feel like I'm trying to run away from him. He says, no, Matthew, I'm never going to let you go. I got you in my hands. He protects his own. He protects his own. He says in John 10, 27 to 29, My sheep, my sheep, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they never perish never and no one no one nothing not even satan himself will snatch them out of my my hand my father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand he's got you in his hand today friend if you know jesus you've received eternal life through him he says i will protect my own he's not negligent he protects his own he protected peter in that garden he protected his disciples in that garden he says i suffer for you and even if you follow in my footsteps even if you face all the opposition all the persecution all the suffering i want you to know i've got you in my hand and i'll never cast you out He never kicks you out of the family. He never fires you. He restores you. And he says, I got you in my hand. Jesus never has and never will lose one of his own. And in this moment in John 18, in this garden, he says, I'm Jesus. Let these men go. Let these men go. He says this, in this moment, I'm going to make sure that not one of them is lost. Never. Not one. He ensured that by completing the work the Father had given him to do, uh, beginning here with his arrest and then culminating in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, he says, I will make sure that they're secure forever and ever and ever in my name. They will never suffer for their sins because I am suffering for their sins. See, Jesus stepped up to be found so that his own, you, And me, any who have called upon his name, so that we would never be lost. In this moment, Jesus says, take me, let these men go. You could almost hear him saying, take me, let Matthew go. Let Matthew go. He will not suffer for his sins, and no one will snatch him out of my hands. Friends, Jesus is not negligent. He protected, and will protect, and does protect his own. His own will never be lost. 
Friend, you may be feeling the weight of all of your pain and all of your hurts and all of your confusion and frustration. Maybe it's the troubles of your life that are on a global scale, a national scale, a local scale, maybe inside your home, maybe in your heart, maybe in your body. Maybe it's, it's ill today. Maybe it's your, your, the uncertainty of the economy. Maybe it's every time you go to the pump. Is anybody looking out for me when I fill up my car with gas, right? Right? You may feel it. Whatever it may be today, friends, we can take heart today because we don't just see the foreground. We look beyond. We're those that know. We see the purposes of Jesus and we say, he will never let me go. He protects his own. He protects you today, friend. He protects you today. He protects you. Protects you. Jesus was found so we wouldn't be lost. Jesus was found in this garden so we wouldn't be lost. He wasn't a sucker. He laid down his life. He wasn't a lone wolf. He submitted to the Father's plan. And he wasn't negligent because he always and did protect his own. What does this mean for Monday? I mean, this is great. We can applaud. We give praise to Jesus, the great I am, the King of majesty. What does this mean tomorrow when we fill up our cups with coffee and hit the road for our commutes and go off to our jobs and schools and various activities this week? Uh, Jesus was found so that we wouldn't be lost. What, What does that mean for us as we get prepared to exit these doors today and go and live on mission for Jesus tomorrow and the day after and the day after that? Jesus was found so we wouldn't be lost. And as we face this opposition, and, we, and we, we face our own, we follow in Jesus' steps, we find, wow, Jesus, you know what? Following in your steps sometimes is really hard. Uh, you know, sometimes it leads to suffering, it leads to hurt, and it leads to pain, and it leads to uh, maybe sometimes we feel embarrassed or ashamed, right? Because people look at us as fools and as weaklings and as those that don't have anything figured out. Why would you ever sign up to to be a Christian when it means so much foolishness and so much weakness. And you may feel that in your life. You may feel that opposition, maybe even from those that, that are in your home or in your family or, or on the job. What does this mean for Monday? The Apostle Paul had this perspective. He was one that, in the New Testament, saw beyond the foreground of Jesus' suffering, and he saw the plan of God that was at work. And he, and he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. And, and he writes to Timothy as a young pastor, and, and, he's, and he's telling him, hey, you know what? Don't forget the background. If they only knew, but you know Timothy. And this is what he writes in 2 Timothy 1, 8. Therefore, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Look at that. Paul's saying, hey, the foreground right now is that I'm in chains, and it's not pretty, but I know something. I know something. And what does he know? He says to Timothy, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which, is, uh, why I, for which I was appointed to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And now he's giving the purpose of why he's willing to be in chains. And why he's telling Timothy to not be ashamed. Why? Why? Verse 12. Which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. 
And I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. Or a variant reading is, uh, he's able to guard uh, until that day what I've entrusted to him. What Paul is saying is, Timothy, you could go out in there, go right into the fire if it needs be. Don't be ashamed. I'm a prisoner for Christ. It looks like foolishness. It looks like weakness. It looks like defeat. Here I am writing this with chains on my body, but I know, I know whom I've believed. I know this one. He'll never pluck us out of his hands. Friends, we're tempted to be ashamed of Christ all the time. We're tempted, to, we're tempted to, to run away from the persecution and the suffering and the shame that it means to be a Christian in our day and age. But oh, if, if, if the shame is there if we just look at the foreground. But if we look at the background, why Jesus does, died and suffered, when we look at him in this garden right here, we could see that he was found so that I would never be lost. I don't have to be ashamed. He's got me in the palm of his hand. I know I've entrusted something to him and he's entrusted something to me. And I am confident and I believe that he's going to guard it until the day when I see him face to face. Why, why, why do missionaries go to places like Liberia? Why, why do they go into the, to, to some of the most hostile and, and dark places of this world? Why do people even in our own communities go and take to the streets to go and share the good news about Jesus? Why would I open up my mouth with my neighbor who's so well educated and if she, if she saw the foolishness of Christ she may uh, smile and snicker and laugh. Well I gotta say friends because Jesus knows what he's doing and he's got us in the palm of his hand and he's never ashamed of me I could say I know whom I've believed and I will not be ashamed of him. Amen. Well, Paul felt that way. Whatever happened to Peter? Whatever happened to Peter? That one that took out that sword and stabbed the servant's ear. What about him? Did he ever change his tone, his perspective, or was he still looking at the foreground? Peter writes in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, he says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. No lone wolves according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Friend, whatever kind of hurt, pain, suffering, persecution, obstruction, opposition you may be facing today, you can entrust your soul to a faithful creator. He was found so that you would never be lost. He's no sucker no, no, he's no sucker. He lays down his life, and he did lay down his life. He's no lone wolf. He submitted to the Father's plan. He's not let negligent. He always protects his own. We can entrust our souls to a faithful creator today, tomorrow, the next day, and the next, and the next after that, because he's faithful. I'd like to close with a story for you. Someone who entrusted his soul, and his friends did, and trusted their souls to a faithful creator. This is the story of, of Jim Elliott. Just a summary very quickly. Uh, you can read about his story. His wife wrote his biography through Gates of Splendor. It's a marvelous, marvelous book. Uh, the pastor and theologian in England, Tim Chester, he sa- summarizes it. And so I'll steal his <laughs> summary here. The title of this article is Jim Elliott Was No Fool. He was no fool. He was no sucker. Says this on Tuesday, January 3rd, 1956, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries landed on a small strip of land in the jungles of Ecuador. It was a dangerous landing, and they could not all land at once. 
For years, they'd been dreaming of and planning for this moment. Their hearts were set on reaching the Alka Indians with the good news of Jesus. The Alkas were a notoriously dangerous tribe. No one had reached them before. Some had exchanged gifts, but always the Alkas had attacked them. For three months, the missionaries had been regularly flying over the area, dropping gifts and shouting greetings. When they had landed, they built a hut and waited for the Alkas to come and find them. They knew the dangers. Their wives had discussed the possibility of becoming widows. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, says they, were, uh, they went simply because they knew they belonged to God. Because he was their creator and their redeemer. They had no choice, no choice, but to willingly obey him. And that meant obeying his command to take the good news to every nation. On Friday, January 6th, three Alcas, one man and two women, approached them. They exchanged greetings. The missionaries showed them rubber bands, yo-yos, and balloons, and the man was taken up in the plane. On Sunday, January 8th, they were due to radio in at 4.30. There was silence. When no message came, a plane was sent, and then a rescue party. Four of their bodies were recovered, all lanced to death. The fifth was never found. It seems they were ambushed. All five were martyred for the sake of Christ. All were married, and and four were fathers. One wife was pregnant. Her three-year-old was heard to tell the new crying baby, Never you mind. When we get to heaven, I'll show you which one is daddy. That's what's in the foreground. That's in the foreground. But Jim Elliott and his friends had a different perspective. They saw in the background. In fact, Jim Elliott once said, and this is one of my favorite quotes all time, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Friend, today, wherever you may be, whatever hurt, pain, suffering you're experiencing in your life, you can look to your faithful and strong creator. You can entrust yourself to him because he's no fool. He's no sucker. He was no lone wolf. He's not negligent. No, he fulfilled the father's plan. He laid down his life willingly and he says, I will always protect my own. Jesus was found so that we wouldn't be lost. And we could say, along with Jim Elliott, because we see in the background, we're no fools who give what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. We are always secure in the I am's hands. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, what an amazing Savior and Lord we have in Jesus. He's beautiful. He's righteous. He's awesome. He's powerful. He's no sucker. (laughs) He was no lone wolf. He was not negligent. But he willingly laid down his life for his friends and for us. He always submitted to the Father's plan and he always protects his own. And and for his own that are here today, would you continue to keep us, guard us, protect us, Father? And I pray that you would refresh our minds always, that there is no one and nothing that could ever snatch us out of Jesus' hands. He will always protect us. Oh, would you make us an unashamed people of Jesus, a people that are bold, a people that are confident yet humble and loving, willing to lay down our lives for the sake of Jesus and his gospel and for our neighbor so that we could say, I'm entrusting my soul to a faithful creator. 
that we would be like men like Jim Elliott and others who saw the beauty and the strength of Jesus. And we could honestly say, we are no fools if we give what we cannot keep to gain what we could never lose. The protection of being in the hands of the Almighty. We thank you so much for Jesus, Lord. And if there's anybody here today, maybe they've been living life just keeping focused on the foreground and they've never looked to see the purpose of Jesus, why this God-man would come and take on human flesh and die on the cross for our sins and rise victoriously from the dead, which you open their eyes to see that it was because of love, love for them, that he would redeem them and rescue them so that they could have eternal life and be safe and protected in the hands of you, Father in the hands of your son, Jesus Christ. Call them, save them, please. We ask all this as we go unashamed and as we go entrusting our souls to a faithful creator who will always protect us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. You're commissioned to go in the name of Jesus, friends. God bless you.